So we are going to kind of be in the Gospel of John, but we're going to take a bit of a tangent based off of something we read last week. Right? We've, uh, we, we've been reading John. We're going through this, this last week. We saw where Jesus um, fed the 5,000, and he feeds the 5,000, and they've, the, the crowds begin to want, they've seen all the other miracles as well. They want to take him by force and make him king kind of in their own vision, in their own likeness to serve their own needs. And we get this moment in verse 15, and I'll put the scripture up here. John six fifteen. perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And I want us to just pause today in this verse, really, and, and really dig into what Jesus is doing here. Okay? Also, it fits with an initiative we began at the, be the beginning of 2020. In January, I preached a sermon called Spiritual Practices. And what we were talking about as a church is really leaning into the spiritual practices, the spiritual disciplines uh, for the next few years. And we didn't want to just do a series over them because they're practices. These are things you have to cultivate, you have to work on, you have to start and stop and fail a little bit and figure out how to do them. And that, that's, that's, with all of us, we're like that when it comes to spiritual disciplines. So we decided that Probably once every three to four months or maybe three times a year, we're going to be introducing a spiritual practice, preaching on it, and then get resourcing you and having you kind of work that out in gospel community or discipleship group. The beginning of the year in January, we did the reading of the word. What does it look like to be a person who cultivates the practice of Bible reading? And today, we're going to look at the spiritual practice of silence in solitude. Silence and solitude. You'll see in a moment why I've put those two things um, together. But this is what we see Jesus doing in John 15. He's getting away. He's getting alone. He's getting away to have silence because the crowd is pressing in on him. They're trying to get him to be somebody that he is not called to be. He's not called to take, to take his throne at that moment and to overthrow the Romans. He's called to be a king who gives up his life for the sake of sinners like you and I. He will come back to set up his throne one day, but that hasn't arrived yet. That wasn't Jesus' time. I want to read a statement from Henry, Henry Nouwen. He's a, um, a uh, kind of a mystic pastor writer from um, the last hundred years or so. He says this. This is a bold statement. Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a, to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. So what Henry Nouwen is saying is that good luck following God, being a follower of Jesus, if you don't take time away alone and in quiet to connect with God. Now I want to confess I'm not up here today as one who has this all figured out. Silence and solitude, if I had to rank my, what I'm best at or what I'm used to or what I'm most comfortable in, it would be near the very bottom, right? Probably fasting from food as well as you can tell by the way I look. Um, but silence and solitude is towards the bottom, right? It's, um, it's hard. It's difficult. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you today shoulder to shoulder um, and, and looking at the scriptures, looking at this practice and say, let's go. Come with me. Let's try it. Let's, let's adopt this practice into our life. 
And, and we're going to look at the scriptures today, but we're also going to read, read some quotes today from some thinkers and pastors and writers who are writing about this. Now, guys, like Dallas Willard, learned a lot from him, and there's a book called Spirit of the Disciplines that I highly recommend that gets into the why behind spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices. Another uh, pastor I've learned a lot from recently is John Mark Comer. Many of you have read his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, that, that book has a whole chapter about silence and solitude. Um, there's also a writer named Ruth Haley Barton, and she has written a whole book on just silence and solitude that is really good. Okay, so we're going to glean from all of these authors and from the scriptures to really figure out how do we do this? How do we do what Jesus did, right? He gets away there in verse 15. What is he doing? How does he do that? Why does he do that? And we're going to pick that apart a little bit today. Let me read a quote by um, a guy by the name of Andrew Sullivan. He's a political commentator and a professing Catholic. Um, He writes this in one of his articles, talking about the problem that we face today in trying to really practice these kinds of things. There are books to be read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be fully lived. This new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. And its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shapeshift under the pressure. The threat is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget we have any. He goes on to say, if churches came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. Now, I started off having Vicky read that Psalm 62 because that, that's what I want us to be. I want us to be followers of Jesus, people who, who, who have a relationship with God and can say things like David did in the Psalm, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. When you're having a rough day, when you're having a rough week, in those difficult moments, in, in the circumstances of your life, can you say, um, from him comes my salvation? And if not, maybe we've forgotten the first half of that verse, which says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. And then in verse 5, for God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Only he is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. I wonder if David is able to say these things about God, that you're my fortress, you're my refuge, you're my strength, because of the fact that he spent so much time alone in solitude. And he spent so much time in silence. And he's dealt with the baggage that comes up when we all try to get quiet before God. And he's dealt with that so much that he knows. He knows that he can say, God, you are my refuge. No matter what I face in the midst of the storm, I trust you. And I believe in you. And you're with me because he's practiced it over and over and over in the wilderness. Now, I want to go back and review briefly the spiritual practices. What are, what are they? Donald Whitney says this in his book, just a definition. The spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are habits of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. John Mark Comer in his book says this, whatever you call them, these habits, practices, or spiritual disciplines are how we follow Jesus. 
how we adopt his lifestyle, how we create space for emotional health and spiritual life. This is why it, it, three months when I preached that sermon a, a, a few months ago, I mentioned that I, liked, I prefer to call these practices. Now, is there discipline within the practices? Yes, but I like to lead with practices because that's what we're doing. We're practicing being with God. We're, we're working muscles that we're not used to in our minds and in our hearts, and, and we'll see that no, no, no better example of that than today as we look at silence and solitude. And I just want to say this at the front, and I said this a lot a few months ago, but you are not a legalist if you strive and work hard to spend time with God. In some of our, our world these days, it's like if we really work hard and put discipline into place and really try to structure our schedules in such a way to spend time with God, somehow we're a legalist. Or we feel bad about maybe, I'm, maybe I'm, 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 I'm living by the law and not by grace. And that is just not true. All the practices, all the disciplines are a means to an end. The means to an end is a relationship with Jesus. To spend time with the one whom we already have a relationship with. They're invitations to a deep life and an enjoyment of God. Or say it another way, the practices are done simply to make space in our lives to receive God's love and grace. They don't save us. They don't make us right before God. But they do require effort. They do experientially cause us to feel God's love or not. That's what's at stake when we talk about the practices and the disciplines. And it's clear here, hopefully you remember and you know, that the gospel, it comes and Jesus saves us of, through our faith and, and through grace alone, Period. We have a relationship with Jesus because of what Jesus has done, period. Now, because we're in relationship with him, we should want to spend time with him. We want to know him. We want to know about the gospel. As I was thinking about this this week, it's like we have the gospel in our possession as followers of Jesus. And we, maybe we know that is what saves us. But the difference in taking, say, one approach is to take the gospel and kind of set it up on a shelf. And look at it and say, I know the gospel. I'm going to memorize the gospel. I'm going to talk about the gospel. And the other approach is to take the gospel and try to get it worked down deep into our lives, into our hearts, into our souls, so that it actually changes us in the day in and day out stuff of life. And this is what the spiritual disciplines or practices do. It's taking the gospel. It's taking God's grace that we've been shown and working it deep down into our lives on a consistent basis. And we don't do these things because it's just the nice religious thing to do, and this is what religious people do. We do this is because it's, it's what we want to do because we've been saved and we've been shown grace. If you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, you may be thinking, well, how does this apply to me? Like, I'm not a follower of Jesus. How does this work? Well, I will make the case, and others have as well, that if Jesus was the perfect human, which I believe he was, then doing these things is just the best way to be human. Right? If Jesus instituted these things, there's some just common grace or common way that God has designed us as human beings to practice the things that Jesus practiced. So hopefully there's something there for you to grab onto today as well. We'll talk more about that in the end. Another way to tell how we're doing in this is, is asking ourselves, would Jesus respond to the circumstances in my life the same way that I respond to? Right? That's what the spiritual practices do. They, they prepare us. They train us. They equip us to actually 
live the life that we want to live when things are really hard, when things get really difficult, when we get that bad news, when we have that horrible day, when that person that we love treats us a certain way that we don't like. That is where the grace of, of, of God comes into our life in the Holy Spirit. And we practice these things so we can react appropriately in those times. He came to show us how, we, how life ought to be lived and not just to save us. So silence and solitude. So in, in, when you look at all the other spiritual disciplines, and, and when I say that are spiritual practices, these things like reading your Bible, prayer, fasting, meditation, maybe journaling, giving, simplicity. Some lists are you know, five to seven. Some lists are as, as up to 20, right? But when you talk about all the spiritual disciplines, silence and solitude can be considered a container for all of them or like the doorway to get into the rest of them. And I think this is especially true in the day and age we live in now and the culture that we live in. And, and we're, we're, we have stimuli all around us all the time. It's hard to be silent. It's hard to find solitude oftentimes for us. And so silence and solitude are so important for us when it comes to reading our Bible or prayer or fasting, right? So if we're going to do those things and set our sights on doing those things more, we should be about silence and solitude as well. Let's look at how Jesus modeled this for us. It's all throughout the Gospels. Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is the first verse of the chapter where Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Satan, right? Satan tempts him three times. Jesus withstands the temptation three times. And, and this is a, a, a big deal in the life of Jesus and him living the perfect life on our behalf, right? Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Satan. But before that happens, you get this verse, that he was led up to the, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, we need to do some kind of original language work here because I think it's very helpful. That word, that word wilderness in Greek is eremon or eremos, right? Eremos or eremon. And it literally means, it can mean desert, desolate place, wilderness, lonely place, quiet place. And you'll see those words used interchangeably as you look at different English versions, right? But that's the general sense of what this word means, this wilderness, right? Look at Mark 1, 32 through 35. Again, there's another episode of Jesus getting away. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by the demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Imagine that many people at your door standing outside of it, right? You're overwhelmed much, stressed, feeling like, how am I going to do this? Maybe for us, it's having, you, you forgot about people coming over to your house, and you're like, what am I going to do? I don't have any food. The house is clean. Right? Those feelings that come up inside of you when that happens. In verse 34, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And here it is, verse 35. So the next day, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. There's that word again, Eremon, where he prayed. And there he prayed. Right? So again, Jesus escapes after having this giant night of ministry, everybody wanting a piece of him, everybody wanting his time, attention, focus, and he says, I'm out. The next morning, he gets up before anybody else and gets away. Mark 6, same gospel. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, here he is modeling it for his disciples, come away by yourselves 
to a desolate place, that same word, and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. Jesus understands, right? He's like, hey, you guys have been ministering. You guys have seen a lot. You're probably tired. You're probably spiritually depleted. Let's get away. Let's go. We don't even have time to, have time to sit down and eat a meal, so it's time to get away. Luke 4, 42, and when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. Right? Luke 5, the very next chapter of Luke, but now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Again, desolate places. There's that word again, right? So there's this physical kind of place where Jesus went to, right? Went outside. It doesn't have to be the same place. It probably wasn't the same place as Jesus moved around. But it was more a, a, a mental, a space that Jesus created where he went to spend time with the Father. So what is silence and solitude? What is it? Uh, John Mark Comer again says this, just intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. And don't miss that with ourselves there. We'll get to that more here in a second. Dallas Willard puts um, silence and solitude in, to, he, to, he categorizes the disciplines and he puts silence and solitude in with the dis disciplines of abstinence. So with uh, like taking stuff away. So fasting would also be in that list uh, for Willard. And he says this, In the disciplines of abstinence, we abstain to some degree and for some time from the satisfaction of what we generally regard as normal and legitimate desires. Normal desires include basic drives or motivations such as those for food, sleep, bodily activity, companionship, curiosity, and sex. But our desires for convenience and comfort and material security, reputation or fame, and variety are also considered under this heading. And then he continues, keep in mind that the practice of abstination, abstention does not imply that there is anything essentially wrong with these desires as such. But in today's distorted condition of humanity, it is these basic desires that have been allowed to run a rebellious and harmful course, ultimately serving as the primary host of sin in our personalities. What Willard is saying there, he's saying God has given us these, these desires, these emotions, right? He's given us those. Those things are neutral. Those can be used for good. Those can be used to glorify and honor God, or they can be used to rebel against God. You think of things like food can be abused or could be used to honor God, could be consumed to honor God. Sleep, same way. You could be lazy or you could be healthy in honoring God. Bodily activity, companionship, curiosity, sex, all of these things can be used for the good or for the evil. And what Willard is saying is if we don't get time to get away and to, to listen to ourselves and listen to God in silence and solitude, we're going to take these things that God gives us for our good and actually, they're going to turn inward on themselves, and we're going to start using them for our own selfish desires, to meet our own ends. We're going to use them to medicate. We're going to use them to quiet that voice in our head because we're afraid to go to the quiet place and actually deal with the voice in our head or deal with the baggage that we know will come up if we go to those places. But God invites us to those places so we can deal with those things. So solitude is just really getting away, right? Getting away by yourself. You think of so much of our anxiety and even sin and worry comes from other people. And here's what I mean. You think of um, when you get alone and you're, you get quiet and, and you're thinking about things, like it's going to come from maybe your mom or dad said something to you. Maybe it's a spouse. 
Maybe it's a, a, a kind of recording that you have playing in your mind all the time about trying to live up to someone's approval, trying to compare yourself to someone else. You're trying to look a certain way to fit into a certain group of people that you want to be a part of. See, all those things are wrapped up in relationships. So it is helpful to get away. And just not to be needed, right? Especially those of you with, with really small children get this. None of you children in the room, of course. But really small kids, you just need to get away, right? You need to get away and you, because you're tired of being needed. You're tired of saying all the time, mommy, daddy, help, this, that. Just like, I just need to get away. Like, I just need some solitude. Silence. Or you have internal and external silence, right? Let's take external. When we think of silence, it's probably what you think of. Turning things off, no electronics, maybe no music, no screens, no noise. That's external silence. But you also have the internal silence. And oftentimes we use the external to noise to drown out the internal noise. So both have to come to the table when we're talking about this. Right? When we're silent, we're showing how much we trust in Jesus' work. Because it's hard to sit and just be and to not do. But it's practicing to trust that Jesus did the work on our behalf in our salvation. So we can just be. We can trust him. And we can rest. Even in our words. Some of you get together to pray. And it's like a one-way street of talking. And you're still doing something when you're talking, right? You like to have your like, acronym in there to pray. And make sure you have your list and all your people you're going to pray for. But what if you just walked in and said, I'm just going to listen for 30 minutes and not say a word. Again, that's Silence. That's a prayer using silence, not a prayer where you're doing something. And that's not bad, but again, we're so quick to like remove that silence even for things that we want to do, good things we want to do, like praying with our words. Right? It's also how we deal with this internal, the, the murmur of the junk that we have. How are we ever going to deal with the deep stuff in our life? How are we going to ever deal with our baggage, our mother wounds, our father wounds, our wounds from our spouse? Right? Our, our idolatry, our desires, our lust, our fantasies. Like those things aren't going to come out unless we give our time for space and quiet. And again, we think we're burying those things, but I guarantee you those things are changing the way you live. They're changing the way you relate to people. They're stealing your joy. They're stealing your freedom. I guarantee you, even though you think you're sweeping them under the rug, they come up. They affect us. We can't hide a piece of our souls and not expect it to change the way we live. The what ifs. What could have done more? The shame and the lust, the anger, the daydreaming, the fantasies about a better life. All of those things we can push down and medicate with and get away from if we don't actually move into those things and allow God to deal with us in those places. Why is this important? I've already gone into a few of these, but we even see this, and in, in you, again, if you're here and you're not a church person, this, this may be um, helpful for you, right? There's a, been an explosion in what is called the mindfulness industry um, recently. If you just look at apps and books and, and groups of people are getting together to practice mindfulness, and this, this definitely wasn't a thing just 10 years ago, but it's a reaction. It's this God-given, which I, in my opinion, God-given reaction to feeling overwhelmed with distraction, overwhelmed with technology, overwhelmed with always being on, always having my phone there, always having con connection to social media all the time, my likes, my, all of those things. I mean, and essentially mindfulness is just silence and solitude for the non-spiritual folk, right? It's just 
something that God's people have practiced for thousands of years, and now science and psychology and sociology is discovering, hey, this is pretty good for you, to just stop and turn your brain off, to listen to some like soothing music to get you into a certain state of mindfulness and paying attention to yourself, paying attention to your heartbeat, paying attention to what you're thinking about. Yeah, the studies have shown that's really good for you. You know, you, you know why? Because God has hardwired that us into health and us being a functioning human being. You also have groups of people in Silicon Valley, like the, 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 the front lines of the tech world, right? They're starting to have what they're calling dopamine fasts, where they're fasting from dopamine. Anything that gets that chemical to hit in your brain that excites you, the like on social media, the, the friend request, could be anything but the, the tech people are saying, wait a minute, this is not healthy. We need to have these dopamine fasts so we cannot be controlled in our life constantly taking these dopamine hits like a drug. And it does have the same effect on our brain like a drug does. Studies have shown that. There's this thing we've all felt, right? The invisible buzz of our phone in our pocket. Really, really creepy, right? It's not in there, but you feel it vibrate. Why? Because it's become an appendage of us in a certain way. It's, you're so used to it being there that when it's not there, your brain and your nervous system kind of tricks itself to make you think it's there. That's why you reach in your pocket and you feel something. Wait a minute, did I get a text? And you pull it out or something and there's, there's nothing on there. It's because it's attached to us in a physical way now. And, 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 and again, I don't, I'm not smart enough to understand all that. I didn't do the research, but there's studies that are showing that that is the case. Let's go back to Matthew 4.1. Looking at Jesus, I thought when Jesus went into this fight with, with Satan, right, I always thought, wondered why the devil, why, why the spirit, I'm sorry, would lead him away into the wilderness before he went and fought the devil, right, had this battle with the devil. Why? Like, why would you take him away from community? Why would you take him to get hungry? Why would you take him to make him weak right before you wanted him to fight? Like, why would the Holy Spirit, the member of the Trinity, do that? And if you read it the other way, this is actually a place where Jesus was strongest. He was clearing everything away. He was moving Jesus out of ministry, out of community, so he could be alone. And he, he fasted so he could, he could kind of, any, any attachment to food, any nourishment or, or any uh, kind of leaning on food was taken away as well. He wanted Jesus to be at his strongest when he actually um, went toe-to-toe with Satan in this back and forth, in this temptation. And it's interesting now, if you read the rest of the Gospels through that lens, you see, oh yeah, that's why Jesus kept getting away. Because it's where he got strong. It's where he rested. It's where he refilled. The busier that Jesus got, the more demands that Jesus had, he, on his time, he got away. We see that clearly in the Gospels. And if he is God, fully man, but also fully God, I think we should be practicing that as well. There's ever a, why should I do this? Why is this important? This is it, right? Jesus felt the need to do it. Jesus did. One of the questions is, do we trust him in our silence and solitude? Are we afraid of what we might hear? Are we afraid of the distractions? Again, this is an intentional time to be alone with ourselves and alone with God. So we can hear what's deep coming out of us and also what God wants to, to, to tell us and allow that to change us, those two things coming together. This is a safe place, right? What safer place than coming with your junk in a time of silence and solitude alone with God? It's the safest place. 
where God can cut through all the voices, all the people that are influential, all the people that maybe are creating baggage in you, cuts through those voices and you can hear the actual truth. It's so hard for us to hear the actual truth. Something as simple as the Father loves you and he cares about you and you don't need anything from this world that the Father can't give you. We all would say, absolutely, that's true. But how in our weakest moments, in our circumstances, do we not actually believe that? It's because we haven't taken the time to allow that truth to cut through all of our baggage and our noise to actually help us. Again, Dallas Willard says this, talking about this idea of doing versus being. When he says there here, he's saying he's referring to um, even other spiritual disciplines that involve doing. Evangelism, reading the Bible, praying with our words, right? Their failure to bring about the change is precisely because the body and soul are so exhausted, fragmented, and conflicted that the prescribed activities, the good ones even, he's talking about, cannot be appropriately engaged and by and large degenerate into legalistic and ineffectual rituals. Lengthy solitude and silence, including rest, can make them very powerful. So again, he's saying that by doing something like science and solitude, it actually opens up the, 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 ourselves to the ability to actually use and benefit from reading the word and prayer and evangelism and ministry and loving people, all the things that we're called to actually do. And if we don't set aside time for science and solitude, we're going to medicate with something else, right? Like if at the end of the day, you, we all can feel it, right? Like if, if you're just super tired at the end of the day, there, there are important things that you need to take care of. Maybe it's time with family. Maybe it's time with your kids. Maybe it's that really important paper that you should be working on, but you just don't have the energy. You just don't have the time to make that decision in that moment, the self-control through the, that comes through the Spirit to say, I'm going to choose what's good, what's beneficial, and say no to escapism. Maybe it's entertainment or whatever your choice to medicate is. And it's so hard for us to choose what we should be doing in those moments and what we really want to do. In silence and solitude, that consistent practice helps us have that self-control when we need to. So we don't medicate. We don't, we're not reactionary to our environment. So when that person says something, you don't snap back with a snarky comment. You're able to wait, wait a minute. Like, why did they say that? What, what, what's going on in their life? Is there any truth to what they said about me? Instead of just snapping back with the snarky comment. That's a way that we, we react appropriately to an environment if we've had time in that consistent space to do these things. Think about pre- our presence with people, right? Think about anybody you, you, you care about. Maybe your spouse, your kids, your roommate, your best friend, whoever it is. We know this, that you, can't, you don't have a real strong relationship with someone unless you spend alone time with them and um, like a focus time with them, the silence and solitude, time with you can get together to focus. Like if, if you're married for a while and you don't spend one-on-one time together and you don't actually ever talk face-to-face, you, your marriage is unhealthy. Same thing with your best friend. Why would you even call that person a best friend if you're never going to spend time with them and connect with them? So we all get that, I think, with our, with our horizontal relationships Why don't we get that with God and pursue him in such a way that we want to be alone with him and sit in the quiet with him and get, get, again, alone with him. Ephesians 3, this is one of my favorite passages in the scripture, Ephesians 3, 16 to 17. Paul says this. This is prayer for us. And I don't think this can happen without what we're talking about today. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power 
through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Again, Paul is not praying for unbelievers here. He's praying for people who already have the Holy Spirit. He's praying for the church. He's praying for followers of Jesus. And he's asking God that the Spirit may strengthen them, that they may be rooted and grounded in love. And I don't think we're going to experience this without practicing some of these things and working them into our lives and making a plan for that. So here's some application points. I'm going to run through really quick, and I'll put them all on the screen. If you want to take a screenshot, you can of those. Um, there's seven of them. Number one, know yourself. You got to know yourself. What's your season of life? What, what, how far are you in your discipleship relationship with Jesus? Just know a little bit about yourself before you go into this so you can maybe have some success here. Um, number two, don't make excuses, right? Don't make excuses. We all make excuses. I have, I have small kids or I have a job that causes me to work 60 or 70 hours a day or I'm just really tired. We're talking about five minutes a day. Five minutes a day to begin with. That's it. So I, I, I don't think there's excuses to be made when we start talking, when you think of starting small. Maybe you can't go away on a monastic retreat for a couple of days right now because of life. I get it. But five minutes a day, it's worth it. Three, um, it's not a performance, right? It's not a performance, it's practice. Don't go into it beating yourself up if you fail. It's okay. Right? It's not a performance, it's a practice. And remember, it, the practice isn't the goal. It's the presence of God. It's to practice the presence of God. So our goal is to not do really, really good at the practice so we can pat ourselves on the back. It's we want to experience more of the love and grace that God wants to give us in those times. Okay? Uh, start with short times, but also look for ways to increase that to long times. Right? Five, maybe ten minutes a day for the first week. This week, try it. Five or ten minutes a day. And then maybe start to think, is there a time in my week where I can at least plan for an hour and just get away in silence and solitude for that hour this week and see what happens? Just alone and quiet. Try that. So you have some short things mixed in, but you also have some long times available to you that you can probably maybe work into your schedule. Uh, first problem is distraction, right? So I have some parentheses there. First problem is distraction. So you're going to start to sit down and do it. And if you don't have this practice, what one uh, pastor called the monkeys of the mind are going to start happening. Your mind is going to go everywhere. It's not going to think about God. It's going to think about all the other stuff that's been pent up. And that's okay. Get a journal and write those things down so the monkeys can leave your mind. We have this, this push-pull relationship. This is what Ruth um, Haley Barton said in her book, this constant push-pull with, with silence and solitude because of the, the age we live in, right? We, we're pushed to it because we want to do it. We want to do it. We know it's beneficial. We know we want to sit at the feet of God and experience these times, but we're so pulled to other things. We're going to be pulled away from that by so many other things, so be prepared for that. Again, my example is that when I'm, um, I, I get distracted really quick in silence and solitude, I'd rather read a bunch of Bible. I'd rather go through my prayer list. I would rather go serve and do something and not just be. It's, it's awkward. It's hard. I'm still, again, working through this and trying to make this a consistent rhythm in my time. So give yourself grace. That's all it said. Give yourself grace. There's going to be distraction. And I will say this. If you need to sleep, sleep. Maybe some of you are so tired, you're afraid. If I get alone and in silence for five minutes, I'm going to be out. Well, that's good. That's exactly what you need. 
If you can't can't stay awake for five minutes when you're in silence and solitude, God wants you to sleep. Because you're not going to be able to do any of the rest of it if you're not physically healthy. So sleep. It's okay. That's a godly thing to do if you're tired. Go to sleep. Maybe the first week, you just take five-minute naps every day in that slot. Then the next week, maybe you feel a little bit better. Or maybe you're like, hey, that was good. I want more of that. So the next week, maybe you try to get a little bit more sleep in other times as well. Uh, Last two. Uh, uh, plan time and physical space is important. It's not going to happen by accident. Like anything else, put it in your schedule in five minutes. The, time, the, the place is super important. Don't minimize that. It was clear that Jesus knew exactly where he was going. I'm going to go to this place because it's going to be quiet. And I'm going to be alone. Whatever that place is, for five minutes, you could find a water heater closet for five minutes, right? Like for, if you're talking for five minutes, you can go in your car, Park it away from something where you're not going to see stuff that's going to distract you. Five minutes is easy here. And last, lastly, process this with people. This is hard. And that's why I want us to, to try to do this together as a church in our gospel communities and in our discipleship groups, to talk about this, to be intentional about how was that for you? How did you fail? What worked? What didn't work? Do you need to be reminded? All of those types of things to help one another get to where we want to go in this area. And again, I'm going to put probably tomorrow, there'll be a blog that goes up on our website with more resources and those links to those books I mentioned earlier about extra reads and those types of things as well. My prayer is that we would push towards this, is that we would, we would experience God's grace and love at a deeper level. So the gospel, again, gets taken off the shelf and it gets worked into our lives. And the only way that happens is if we make time and spend time with God. Let's pray. Father, we, in this kind of moment here of silence, um, we ask that you would help us in this. That like children who've been adopted, who were once orphans who've been adopted into your family, we want to spend time with you. We want to get to know you. We want to um, experience the love and the grace that we have in you that we know about maybe, we know about mentally that we're saved and that we've been adopted. We get that. We can answer that on a paper, but have we experienced that? Can we truly say we feel loved by God the Father, the creator of the universe because of the person of Jesus? And if we can't say that, honestly, help us. Help us, Mark, create time for you. Help us see this as one of, if not the most important thing we can put in our schedules. And help give us wisdom and give us diligence to just start with five minutes. Maybe for the next month, we just say five minutes a day, alone and quiet before you. And I pray through this that you would, your spirit would work in us as individuals and us as a church to be the kind of people who are not reactionary, kind of people who understand, who can detach from from technology, who can detach from distraction, that we can be more present, present with you, present with one another, present with the people we love. Help us. Help us to that end, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.